welcome to our Deepest Secrets Revealed podcast with Sarah Finlay. Have you ever had a question for the opposite sex in which you seek to be answered authentically? On this podcast, that is exactly what we do. I discuss intimate topics with guests as they share their point of view about dating, sex and relationships. We are raw and authentic to reveal the essence of how the opposite sex feels about today's topic we are exploring. If you have a question, please feel free to write to us and ask. It just might inspire our next episode and get answered. Thanks for joining me today. Now let's dive in deep to today's topic. Welcome to our Deepest Secrets Revealed podcast. I'm Sarah Finlay and thank you so much for listening. In today's episode, we will be discussing open relationships. Today, I've invited Eric Newton to share his perspective. He's the founder of Together Magazine and host of the podcast Together. He's a former family attorney and describes himself as someone who's been through a thousand divorces and still believes in love. Ultimately, his calling to help couples build healthy relationships superseded his legal career, and he decided to dedicate himself full-time to creating a place couples could go for information, inspiration, and a big dose of truth. That's when Together was born. He's interviewed dozens of non-monogamous couples and written several articles on the subject. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you on the show today. (laughs) (laughs) So last week on the show, I discussed monogamy and that many people now are questioning monogamy and that many relationships are coming to an end because someone has either had one or multiple infidelities. And the other thing I'm noticing being an Aussie newly to LA is that open relationships seem to be quite a common thing here. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think people want to be monogamous or is there just a society for pressure to say that we should feel that we want to be monogamous? How do you feel about this? Uh, it's such a big question. <laughs> the answer is all of the above, of course, right? There's no one answer to these things. You know, something that's helpful is a little historical perspective. I think it, we have this sense that that the way that we perceive of relationships is the way that it's always been and in in some way the way it should be. And it's just not the case. You know, if you if you course back through history and just take a quick scan, even the briefest possible overview, you start to see that relationships have been every conceivable structure that's imaginable. I mean, we've had ghost marriages and child marriages and polyamorous relationships and all kinds of crazy configurations throughout history. And this notion that, you know, our one person as our only person, you know, this kind of like Victorian and forward ethos around marriage is a new thing and it's fine. I'm not against it. I'm a monogamous, but it's, it's not the truth. You know, it's not the ultimate end all be all. So that's a long way of saying, you know, there are people who want to be non-monogamous and some of them want to do it for the right reasons and some of them want to do it for the wrong reasons, but it's all over the map. And I'm, I'm not really committed to people going one way or the other as long as they do it consciously. Yeah. And what, in your opinion, is the wrong reasons or the right reasons? Well, I knew you were going to ask that. Such a plot <laughs> statement. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have articulated it that way. Um, I, you know, I, 
broadly speaking, I think when you're lying to yourself or your partner, you're probably doing it for the quote unquote wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's non-monogamy and there's just cheating Mm -hmm. and there's cheating within non-monogamy. And, you know, what it comes down to is, are you abiding by the agreements that you've consciously set for yourself and for your partner? And whatever those agreements are, I mean, goodness gracious, I don't care what they are. But, you know, stick by them. You're an mm. adult. You can do it. It's better for you and for your partner. <laughs> and if you can do that, you'll be fine. Yeah. You know. Definitely. And you do touch on my next question, actually. And people that aren't that are in a monogamous relationship often don't realize that there are different rules and boundaries depending on what level you want to play out in an open relationship. Uh, so I want to discuss these. We've, it starts from anywhere from like threesome. So people that don't think they're into an open relationship but are open to threesomes, you're actually entering into open relationships. Uh, swingers' lifestyles with parties, sexual encounters allowed to happen when you're not in the same city, um, sexual encounters happening maybe when you are in the same city, the same place, and finally polyamory. Yeah, so different rules there. Um, what do you think about all the different rules and the different levels for people? Well, I, that's an interesting matrix that you have. I think it's as probably as good a way to look at it as any. But here again, I want to push a little bit against this okay. idea that there's specific buckets. There's really a million. I mean, there's, a, there's exactly as many relationship configurations as there are couples. I've had people on my show who thought that, you know, if you go to dinner with a person of the opposite gender who's not your spouse, you're cheating. Oh, wow. You know, and that's the <laughs> I, I was surprised to hear that from the wife in that interview, but the husband said, yeah, that's definitely right. That's how it is. And, it, you know, <laughs> that's how it is for them. So be it. And then there's folks who, you know, have multiple sexual partners in lots of different fun and interesting configurations, but have the rule that as long as you tell me about it afterwards, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, I guess you could think of that as maybe the opposite end of the spectrum, but um, but that's the rule. And if you don't tell somebody about the experience that you had, then it's cheating. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's not so much about the categories because those can get a little, people can get a little doctrinaire about them. Okay. You know, it's, it's less about the categories and it's more about just being really clear that we're all setting our own rules and our own boundaries in our respective relationships. And, um, and again, it doesn't really matter what rules you set as long as you're really conscious and mindful about them. Um, in, in my relationship, for instance, I have very close friendships with uh, women that I'm not sexual with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's really important for me to be able to do that. You know, that kind of emotional intimacy is really something that brings richness and, and depth to my life. And at first, that was really scary to my fiance. Aubrey, Aubrey didn't like it at all. Um, but I, I realized that it was legitimate for her to be scared about that and worked with her to help her understand that I could bring safety to our relationship anyway. And now we have a rule set that as long as there's no sexual interaction with these women, it's okay. And that's our rule. You know, some people might consider that non-monogamous. I don't, I don't really think it is, but you know, some people might consider that non-monogamous, which is just to say the spectrum is pretty mushy. Yeah. How did you make her feel safe? Because I think that's a really good point for maybe anyone listening that might be in that position where they're trying to communicate that to their partner and the other partner's feeling a little bit nervous about something and maybe their partner doesn't see anything's happening. So how did you do that? In that case, it was a matter of 
just talking about it fully and completely and openly. Um, and, and it started with acknowledging that I could understand why she was feeling the way she was feeling. Uh, it, it hit us out of the blue, actually. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it in advance. Um, and uh, she's found a text message on my phone that said, from one of these friends of mine, says, oh, I miss you and I love you. And uh, she saw that because she was looking for something else when I was here at the studio and she was at home. She wasn't doing anything sneaky. She just saw this message pop up on my computer. And she got really terrified. You know, she mm. thought, oh, my God, he's cheating on me. And she called me up and she was uh, not yet angry, but it was bordering on angry and she was scared. And, um, you know, I had just gotten off an interview, so I was very calm. And I, I heard what she said and I, and my response was, I am so sorry you had to see that in that way. That's horrible. I can totally get why you would be all of the emotions that you are, the fear, the anger, it's super rational. And I want you to know that there's nothing approaching cheating happening here. And if you want to talk about our boundaries and the rules that we need to set in place so that you can feel safe, I'm a hundred percent willing to do that because I love you and you're my commitment, but nothing has happened here that you would consider untoward, I don't think. And it's really important for me to have these relationships with people, including women. And I'd really rather not kill those. And, you know, that was, that was the kind of the opening salvo. Mm -hmm. It put, it put her a little bit at ease. It calmed her down just enough that she wasn't in her amygdala. And then when we got home, we had another couple hours conversation about it. Then we set it down for a couple of weeks, picked it up again later. You know, we've just sort of thoughtfully, calmly walked around it and talked about it and discussed it until now. It's just very easy. You know, I have these friendships and, and they're okay. That's great. I think that's great advice also, though, how to communicate with your partner sometimes things that can be difficult and the way to approach it. Yeah. I, if, if there is any piece of in any one thing I did right in that, it was mostly instinct, but if one thing I did was right, it was acknowledging that where she was coming from was completely rational and okay, mm. you know, cause then she didn't have to get defensive about it. Yeah. You know, she could, she could, um, she could be heard and that's yeah. so important. That's just so important for people. And on the topic that we're having, discussing here, non-monogamy, that kind of communication is table stakes. You know, you, you really, one thing I've seen over and over with non-monogamous couples is that if you can't, if you can't do that, like that's, that's elementary school for non-monogamy communication there. If you can't do that, you're probably not going to make it. You've got to completely and thoroughly hear your partner, even when they're saying things that you totally disagree with. Mm, it's quite challenging. It's good for a little bit of personal growth, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, a few little triggers. Yeah, a few <laughs> triggers come up. <laughs> uh, what do you think the attraction is to open relationships for people at the moment? Like, why is it going that way? Um, you know, I mean, I think the obvious answer is people like sex. Uh, I think we're probably coded to like sex with variety. You know, it's probably good for our DNA in the long run to have a diverse set of offspring creates a stronger ecosystem. But I think there's another thing going on, another cultural movement going on right now, which is that as people are be having more access to resources and information and education, and there's less, you know, there's less danger that you're going to die of starvation if you don't team up with the right person and have your homestead secured, you know, People are more and more able to explore their 
true selves. I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the concept of true self. I don't know that it's really a thing, but there, people are able to be a little more authentic. And that means sometimes sexual self-expression, sometimes romantic self-expression. And some people are finding that they're just more inclined to have relationships where they, where they share love or sexuality with more than one partner. And, and it's hard to do culturally right now. There's not a lot of support for it, but that's something about this coming generation is they don't really care. You know, (laughs) they've got safety and they've got access to info and the, you know, the web is robust and um, people want to explore better ways of doing things. And, and it's good, you know, more power to it. It's messy, but it's good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is actually quite to be of next week. We're going to have a couple's perspective that are actually in an open relationship. And I've already recorded one of the interviews and they have said that they need to keep it still quite private as well, because it is quite taboo and it can be judged how they decide to live their life, even though they're you know, totally happy and they've been in a very long relationship and it works for them. So I found that quite interesting. They still have to keep it a little bit hidden in a way. Yeah. Isn't that just the way of the world though? Anytime mm. there's something new and edge pushing, the establishment is going to, is going to push back you yeah. know, and for good reason. You know, as a, as a human animal, we don't want to change what's working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Cause you could end up dead. Or at mm. least that's how it was well, for our is ancestors. Is it working? Is my question because marriage mm. there seems to be a lot of divorces, and is it working? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, it's working in that we're not dying and we are procreating, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it could, certainly, it could certainly use some upgrades. I'll grant you that. <laughs> uh, you, I like to question everything in society at the moment. <laughs> I'm like, really? Are you happy? Really? <laughs> I think that's healthy. And, you know, that's more to my point, too. Like the fact that we can even question at all means that we've got a measure of safety and resource yes. security here. And it's such a it's such a privilege to be able to do it. We might as well. Yes, true. Because in some countries, they don't have that right, which right. we take for granted, really, here in America or Australia or anywhere like that. You've interviewed dozens of non-monogamous couples and written several articles on the subject what is common amongst the couples that choose not to live a monogamous lifestyle from yeah, all these conversations that you've had? Uh, well, okay, nobody's going to like this answer. It's probably not 100% true, but I would say the majority of non-monogamous couples are non-monogamous by default. Okay. Um, they're non-monogamous because that's what was offered on the menu, and they're non-monogamous because that's what their parents did and that's what their friends do and that's the thing that they're supposed to do. And most people, just as we were discussing a moment ago, don't want to buck trends. They want mm. to stick with the herd. It's safer. And I mean, I, and that's a rational way to live. That said, in my view, there's a huge opportunity in consciously choosing your relationship structure. And... um. And you may end up consciously choosing monogamy if you do that. I, I certainly did. That said, the conscious component of it is the critical component here. You know, really, really considering why am I doing this? And does it serve me? And does it serve my partner? And is this the relationship that, that I want? Is, is something we're able to do right now culturally? And we ought to. And then back to something you were saying earlier about the shame. 
I think as we mature, we will shame people less for making their own choices. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Better world if we have less shame on people for being themselves. Yeah, we're capable of that. Well, it's happening. You know, yeah. it's happening around the world. Things are, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, it was unthought of that people could, same-sex couples could get married. Now it's, you know, I mean, it's just commonplace. Yeah, just, true. And what's um, common amongst the monogamous, um, sorry, the monogamous people as well? The, no, non-monogamous? Yeah. That's tougher. I, I think that they are, they tend to be um, risk tolerant, adventure seeking mavericks for the most part. Um, but, I, but I think some of them will get upset with me for saying that. I think there's also just a group of people who are coded to be polyamorous or non-monogamous and um, they're not doing it because they want to. It's just who they are. I, I, interview, I interviewed a professor of philosophy from uh, Canada Carrie Jenkins, who just wrote a book about love, and it was a philosophical treatise on love for non-academics, and so she was writing you know, in a philosophy way for, for normal folks. And the reason she even wrote it is it turns out she's polyamorous and has been in a polyamorous marriage for years, and, and people would say to her, oh, well, you know, you're not really in love. Ooh. If you're polyamorous, that's not really love. And of course, that was really insulting at first, but then she started to think, well, I mean, maybe they're right. Look, what, what, I mean, let me just give credence to what they're saying. What is love actually? <laughs> just quoted the movie. Yeah, the movie. What is, <laughs> what is love actually? What is it? And uh, she, and so, uh, so she wrote a book trying to get at the heart of what is it? And, um, and that, I, I think that's the kind of inquiry that, that, We've got to have, and we've also got to give people like her who just are not, you know, Pauline, she's not doing it because she wants to get social media attention or because she wants to get laid more often. She's mm. doing it because she is someone who's inclined to be in love with more than one man. And she wants to do that. She wants to live that way openly and, and more power, more power to her. We need to give her space. You know, these, these non-monogamous relationships are teaching the rest of us a lot of important skills about relating and communicating. I agree. I feel like they're teaching us, even if we choose to stay monogamous, how to have a really healthy and good relationship because communication in the end is fundamental and they seem to be the best at communicating all the trigger points and the hard conversations and they can't avoid them. They have to take them on head on. Yeah, 100%. And that's the, I would, I agree with that completely. That's the common thread for non-monogamous relationships that are successful. As far as I can tell, it's this absolutely utter, complete determination to communicate fully and effectively, which is really hard to do Yeah, because, because not only are you communicating with your one partner, you're communicating with your other partner. And then you discover not only are you responsible to your two or three or however many partners, but you're actually responsible for their partners too because your agreements impact their agreements mm. and then the agreements that they have with even more people. So the pool of responsibility grows exponentially. And you know, at some point you have to just sort of stop thinking about the, the, the size of that pool because yeah, you can't you conceive of it. It creates a bit of a headache. <laughs> yeah. But the that that level of the communication that's necessary to maintain mm. that grand structure is immense. 
And, you know, the rest of us can sort of rest on this cultural edifice that's been built for our monogamy by hundreds of years of history. I guess I'm contradicting myself at the beginning a little bit, maybe a hundred years of history. But right, resting on that edifice makes us a little lazy too about communication. We don't have to address every little tick and concern that comes up the way you do in a non-monogamous relationship, I think. No, I think they get avoided. And then what happens is the little things build and build and become bigger things. And all of a sudden there's a maybe massive toxic fight and no one really knows where it came from. And maybe it was because the communication wasn't happening openly and where both partners feel safe as well to air how they're feeling um, along the way. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Um, Many people may not be aware, but from my research, women are making the decisions in the swinger lifestyles. Can you share why you think this lifestyle is being led by women? Yeah, that's such a fascinating concept. I, I see that from two places. One is, again, this is anecdotal for me. I don't have the data, but I think every single couple I've ever interviewed or talked to who's not a monogamous, okay, with one exception, it was introduced by the female partner. Mm. It was it was the woman's idea. She was the one who said, you know what? I want us to have an open relationship. And the the guy was usually a little reluctant at first. So that that bucks the trend. That's the first point supporting what you say. And the second is that there's this cliche in non-monogamous communities that women hold the power. And to answer your actual question about why, I I know why people say it's the case. I just don't know if I believe that it is the case. So mm-hmm. people say that it's the case because women tend to be in the control of saying yes or no to opportunities. And perhaps that's sourced in less urgency you know, perhaps women have less urgency around um, sexual encounters. And so since they have less urgency, they get to be in a position of control. That's what I've heard. Right? I, don't, I don't actually have an opinion about that, but I, that's what I've heard people say. What I, th- my reaction to it, though, is that I get people perceive women as having the power, but, you know, the power of, concept of power is a fuzzy concept. Who really mm-hmm. ever holds power in a relationship? It's whoever you say holds power. And I, I think it's a fluid thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe there's value in having non-monogamy empower women. You know, we're in a cultural phase where women are, are taking hold of some power and that's a good thing. So maybe this is useful in that way. But ultimately, you know, we'll come back to, a, I, we're going to end up coming back to an equilibrium. We have to, it's how we sustain and I, I don't think women or men have more power in these situations. I think it's balanced and it's diversified. Mm, maybe it's just helping women with their like their sexuality at the moment and being able to take a lead for this and explore and be themselves. But I also agree that everything in life needs to be balanced. Yeah. I, well, I'm curious. What do you think? Do you see the women taking uh, more control in these dynamics? So I haven't personally encountered this yet but I do from what I've conversations that I've had with people so I know someone who she's actually gay and she's been in a relationship with a couple but the rules for that one is that the female in the couple can only contact her the male doesn't have her details and it's all organized through the women it's not Mm -hmm. through the men and this other couple well that's more balanced as well but they've been open for quite a few years so maybe it's just at the start the women sort of make some decisions until they feel comfortable yeah uh 
I can see that, you know, the, as a way to get comfortable with the dynamic, have, be the one in control of, of choosing. That makes sense. Uh, that, you know, that would stem from this cliche that men are just lascivious and they want to have sex with lots of crazy women. And <laughs> if they don't have control around them, they're going to act like animals, you know, that's a bunch of baloney. <laughs> you know, if you're in that relationship, just get out of that relationship, you know, go find an adult. Yeah. <laughs> go find a man. You're with a really? boy. <laughs> Seriously. I just, you know, come on, be, be adults here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. A lot of people still don't grow up, unfortunately. Uh, you wrote an article titled What Monogamists Can Learn from Polyamorous. In the article you shared you tried uh, the poly lifestyle once but it wasn't yeah. for you and that you're in a mon- monogamous relationship now, which you've shared. However, you go through to share what you learned and you've got three learnings. That um, Can you share these with the audience? Do I uh, Do I have three? I um because I, I think that article had like seven or eight. What were the three that you oh, liked the, the most? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do your top three. So you can my do yours. Three? Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. So I think my top three are uh, truth. Fundamentally, don't be scared of the truth. Tell the truth. You know, if you find yourself not telling the truth, it's that's your problem and not your partner's. If you're finding that you're not telling the truth, it's because something's out of alignment here. You know, you, um, if you, if you can't tell the truth and it's because you're scared of your partner's reaction, you're probably in the wrong relationship. You know, if the relationship can't handle the truth, it's probably the wrong relationship. And if you're not telling the truth because of your, you're scared about something about yourself, well, then you've got some integrity issues to face. Like face what's so Mm. really, really like have the courage. It's where the growth is available. And that's true everywhere. But you know, in non-monogamous relationships, these folks take it to a true art form. You know, the um, willingness to utterly and completely face the truth mm. is uh, an exquisitely difficult skill to develop and immensely useful. I mean, it's the core of trust and intimacy that we all say we want in relationships. So that's, I think that's number one, tell the truth. Number two is really related to that. It's get friendly with jealousy you know, jealousy is, um, it's going to rear its head in every relationship, but in non-monogamous relationships, probably you have more opportunities to face it. And what a lot of the non-monogamous folks say is that jealousy is not a root emotion in and of itself. It's actually just covering up other emotions like fear or anxiety and, and that those are where the opportunity for personal development is, is to get below the jealousy and find out what's going on. And then, and then you can transcend it. Monogamous couples tend to gloss over jealousy and it's a real shame because if you're feeling jealous, there's something to face here. Mm. You know, there's something really to, to turn your whole self towards and, and get into, um, and but you know non-monogamous couples tend to gloss over it and, and just set up rules like you know you're not allowed to talk to other women or anything that makes me feel jealous is wrong and and that's I think that's missing an opportunity uh, as long as you have safety and trust get get real with your jealousy get in there what's going on you know it, it's going to teach you something and then you know and then the last bit this is something of a poly cliche uh, but it's the notion that love is infinite, but time is finite. And 
what's really being said there is that, um, you know, you may choose in your, in your marriage or your relationship to spend your time with one person. And that's fine. If that's what you want to do more power, but don't confuse it with the idea that if you love one person, you can't love other people. It is possible. Sure. Set up the boundaries you want to, but it is possible to love as many people as, as there are people, you know, love can go on forever. And in fact, love begets love if you allow it to. And, it, you know, again, it doesn't have to mean sexual love. It doesn't have to, and, and even if it feels sexual, it doesn't have to be acted upon. But, you know, love is a good thing. Let's, let's allow the love to flourish. And, and then if you need boundaries for safety, go ahead. Um, and if you don't think you have the time in life to fully invest in multiple loves, that's okay too. But know that those are separate concepts. I love that. And the world definitely does need more love than fear. And there's different types of love for sure as well. Yeah. That amen. You can feel. <laughs> uh, from your experience, uh, and I want to say thank you for sharing. And I'm going to share that article in the show notes so you can read the rest of Eric's learnings as oh, well. Good. Yes. So you can read further. I just wanted to touch on a couple of things. From your experience, do you think there are often more secrets in a monogamous relationship compared to open relationships? Hmm, secrets. Uh, that's an interesting question. I guess I wouldn't have thought of them as secrets. I, I think that there's probably more active communication in a non-monogamous relationship. I think there's more of a, in, in successful non-monogamous uh, relationships, there tends to be a much heavier emphasis on structura, structuralizing full and complete communication. Mm. You know, there's, there's um, time set aside for communicating even when you don't want to. There's um, rules in place for what needs to get communicated. And there's lots and lots of dialogue um, and sharing of emotions. And, and it's usually set in, in, in place with structure. So that, in that sense, maybe. Maybe the, there, is, there are fewer secrets in non-monogamous relationships. But, but I also think like there's something sexy about secrets. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's something kind of fun and not necessarily bad. I suppose about, it depends what the secret is. <laughs> yeah, it totally does. You know, it depends on if it's okay in your relationship or not to keep it. But, you know, there's some things you want to just, even if it's just, you know, I don't want you in the toilet with me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm or, on wall for that actually as well. I'm like, no, go away. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's some, some secrets are good. Yeah. Um, but, but, but yeah, the, the thing is, is it a betrayal of trust? Yeah. And in a, you know, trust is like, it's just trust is the fundamental pillar. Trust, communication, and appreciation are, in my view, the three fundamental pillars that make a relationship good. And you've always got to go back to basics, just work on them. And if you're, if you're keeping secrets that are going to be a violation of trust, well, you know, cut it out. Yes. <laughs> you don't need to do that. Yes. What are you doing that for? <laughs> I definitely agree. And my last question I was going to ask was about jealousy, but I feel like you definitely just answered that in the top learnings actually of what we can learn from feeling jealous. I mean, it definitely is a trigger and it definitely, there's a lot more going on under the emotions is probably in my opinion, like a lack of self-love happening there and a lack of self-worth of how you're feeling. That, that's what jealousy is really about, right? 
and, and maybe like a fear of some bad future thing, mm. you know, like, Oh, if I don't get this handled, some bad thing is going to happen. And therefore, Hey, wait a minute. Why are you talking to that person? Mm. Um, or, or maybe it's an ad in an inadequacy. Am I not good enough? Yeah. Well, why, you know, am I not good enough? And that's all. And that's basically a, a fear. Oh, there's something wrong with me. I'm going to die if I don't get this love that I need, which is again, it's, it's coded into us, but it's not true. It's not, you know, that's not the truth. Yeah. There's, there's, there's more going on than that. And, uh, so, you know, when I feel it, at least I, I like to dive into it. I don't feel it so much these days, but when I do, I, I like to get into it. I like to any triggers I like to dive into. I'm lucky I don't feel jealousy that much at all. People think I'm a little bit strange because I don't, <laughs> but I think it's good. I don't really want to feel that emotion. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's not like we want to feel the bad ones. It's just no. when they come up, we got to see them as opportunities. Definitely. Do you have any final advice for someone considering an open relationship that maybe hasn't, hasn't done it before quite new and they're just curious? That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I rules, uh, know that there's going to be rules. Non-monogamy doesn't mean no rules. It actually probably means more rules. I, I have bumped into a good portion of people who are diving into non-monogamy and just have this fantasy that it like, Hey, it's this free for all sex party. And the, it, that is a fantasy. Yeah, it's just a fantasy. You know, mm. it's, that's, there's, you, uh, we live by our definitions of things and our boundaries and our limitations. It's how we know who we are. It's how we know what our relationships are. And it's how we create the safety that we've been talking about that's so important. So you're going to have rules. And if it's going to be sustainable, you're going to have to really abide by them. If you can't do it, you probably shouldn't have a non-monogamous relationship. And then uh, the second is set up a lot of time for those conversations. Yeah. I didn't realize it was like a scheduled sort of thing for a lot of people, but that does make sense actually of really getting into the emotions and talking and feelings and sharing. Yeah. The polyamorous have brought that to the highest art form. You know, if you want to talk about categories of non-monogamous, the polyamorous have got these really great structures and there's a good number of books out there about that. But everybody, even, you know, the swing lifestyle too, I just had a couple on that are uh, Catholic swingers from the Midwest. They don't have love relationships with other partners and nobody lives together, but they have a lot of rules around how they engage with other partners and okay. other couples. And then they have always a decompression where they talk about it and share about it because there's a ton to process. Yeah. You know, for better or worse, sex is an emotional thing. And mm -hmm. if, you, if you don't acknowledge that, you're just being naive. <laughs> that, that emotion has got to get processed. Yeah. This is great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Eric. So he's got a magazine and a podcast, both called Together. So check them out. But I'll also share links so you can find them quite easily. And, yeah, thank you so much for your advice and everything. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was super fun. It was great having you. Thank you. You have just listened to Our Deepest Secrets Revealed podcast with Sarah Finlay. Don't forget to subscribe to be alerted to our next episode. Connect with us via Twitter. And if you have any questions, please email my question at ourdeepestsecretsrevealed.com. Help us get the word out there and email a friend or two today about this episode. You can go over to iTunes and share the episode directly to a friend via a tweet, Facebook Messenger share, or post it to your profile. Otherwise, you can copy the link and email it. 
thank you so much for sharing. Until next time, keep shining. Enjoyed this episode of our Deepest Secrets Reveal? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's like leaving a tip and really appreciate it. Thank you.